Welcome to 2024. With the 2024 election on the horizon, the wars in Gaza and Ukraine, and numerous other foreign policy and domestic news stories, it's never been more important to stay informed. The DSR Network has you covered, with experts across all of these stories, to bring you the analysis and commentary of the stories that matter. Later this month, the DSR Network will introduce the TNR Daily, featuring Greg Sargent, formerly of the Washington Post, and a close friend of the show. Don't miss a moment of our coverage. Become a member of the DSR Network today. Members receive exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to attend DSR live events, a members-only Slack community, an ad-free listening experience, and more. For the month of January, receive 50% off your first year of membership. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSR2024 at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSR2024. Thank you for your support. Hey, everybody, it's DSR's Daily, and we're here to give you the news and some analysis. Uh, I'm David Rothkopf. Usually I do some analysis. And to give you the news, we've got Chris Cottonware. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well, thank you. Excellent. And Riley Fessler, I'm sure you're doing great. You're always doing great. Are you doing great, Riley? I'm doing great. Excellent. Chris, first story from halfway around the world. U.S. and the U.K. naval forces had successfully uh, repelled an attack in the Red Sea by Yemen's Houthi rebels. Um, This was the 26th such attack uh, in the the area. Uh, The response by the United States and the U.K. included uh, 21 drones and missiles. the Houthis were targeting shipping lanes and have been accused of uh, arms uh, smuggling, um, which Iran has denied at this point. Well, first of all, let's be clear. The the attack was 21 drones and missiles, not the response to the attack, right? Um, uh, s- secondly, um, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about this on our podcast yesterday, which was a kind of interesting discussion about counterterrorism in the Middle East with an expert. And, um, you know, he described the Houthis as, you know, sort of chippy, you know, that they're, they're not going to cause any big disasters, but they're not going away anytime soon. They're also Iranian-backed. Uh, they are causing a problem for international shipping. That problem is about to cause some fairly substantial supply chain uh, interruptions for people who depend on shipping that goes through that part of the world. Um, And so it's a problem. Uh, It is not likely to be the problem that leads to serious escalation in the area. Riley? So President Zelensky um, has arrived in Lithuania at the start of kind of a Baltic tour um, to gin up support Obviously, the main problem, as we've discussed here on our other shows, is the holdup of U.S. support. Uh, And then in addition to that, Europe's support has also kind of fallen short of what their promises were. They promised, I believe it was a million shells, and they've only delivered 300,000 of those so far. 
So Zelensky clearly trying to find support elsewhere. Um, the Baltics are already largely on board, though. They're some of Ukraine's biggest supporters, uh, given their own history of invasion by Russia. So um, I'm kind of curious to see what his goals are here, obviously beyond just getting more support, given that these are kind of his already strongest backers. Uh, I'm look, curious if he's looking for kind of a more tangible agreement out of this or, you know, whatever else. Uh, your thoughts, David? Well, he is looking for more tangible agreements. It's a real pity that this guy has got to manage a war and spend his time managing the supplies and money and material from uh, his allies uh, who are essential to the survival of Ukraine. Uh, it's a pity that, uh, and and pity is not a strong enough word, um, uh, for, that the U.S. Has, has been hesitant on this on this front. Um, it's a pity that parts of Europe have been. Of all the parts of Europe, the Baltics are probably the least of his worries um, because uh, they've been very committed. They understand the problem. For them, it's existential too. Uh, I, I, I noticed Estonia just yesterday committed 0.25% of their GDP to the defense of Ukraine. I mean, you know, that's just like, here we are, you know, each NATO country is supposed to be committing um, 2% of their GDP to NATO and uh, uh, collective defense. And they're saying, we're going to take one-eighth of that amount and we're going to dedicate that just to Ukraine, uh, above and beyond their NATO commitment. That's extremely important. That's the kind of thing they need. This war is not going to be over anytime soon. Uh, but if it is, it'll be because people don't give enough aid to Ukraine and Ukraine falters. So, uh, so, you know, as we have repeatedly said on all of our podcasts, directing money and support to Ukraine is a national security bargain, the likes of which we have never seen. It leads to the dismantling of one of the world's great uh, enemies of democracy, which is to say the Russian military. It contributes to the security of Ukraine. It contributes to the security of Europe. It contributes to the defense of democracy. And it makes it less likely, not more likely, that our troops and the troops of our allies will not have to fend off a Russian attack someplace else. Uh, this is something we're going to talk about today on our podcast, uh, the DSR Mothership Podcast, Deep State Radio. Uh, so tune in for that for more on this. Chris? This evening uh, seems uh, like a ready-made popcorn event with the last of the GOP town halls or debates or however oh, you want so to. Oh, exciting. Refer. They're so mm -hmm. great. I love listening to these things. What's really interesting is that CNN will televise the Haley DeSantis town hall while Trump will do be doing his own thing um, with his old pal Brett Baer uh, on Fox. Um, I'm really interested to see how this plays out in terms of viewership, um, especially Oh, given come on. Who's going to watch this shit? Nobody. Not even Republicans watch this shit. It's I, I'm not, terrible ratings. It's, it's, it's not so much the view. It's more the viewership between the two events. You know, just Trump Oh, oh I see. More just the horse viewers. race. Yeah. The horse race between one terribly boring event and, and, and another. Yeah, well, and say what you want about the polls, but there was a report yesterday that Nikki Haley was closing the gap to single digits in New Hampshire. 
Um, certainly something to pay attention to because it tells me that people are at least despite, you know, the 10 people that are listening, maybe are the ones getting the calls uh, about who they're going to vote for. But um, we'll see. Yeah, true. Now, remember, who won Iowa in 2016? Trump? No. Who won? $5,000 prize here, if you answer uh, the next 10 seconds. Bernie Sanders. Oh, sorry. That would be Jeb. the Democratic primary, Chris. Um, oh, uh, sorry. Ted... Ted Mitt Romney. Cruz. Ted Cruz oh, won Iowa in Lion 2016. Ted? Yeah, no, yeah, that guy. And uh, uh, so we have to take all this with a grain of salt. But, folks, the message here is not these are going to be boring, although they're going to be boring, and nobody's going to watch them because nobody's going to watch them. And isn't it ridiculous that Trump is not engaging these candidates in a debate, be, you know, because it's ridiculous and narcissistic and uh, really disrespects the voters, which none of them seem to really care about. But uh, the issue here is that the 2024 campaign is not an abstraction. It is upon us. We are going to have caucuses. We are going to have primaries. Um, and, uh, you know, that's uh, uh, that, 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 that should trigger activism and engagement from everybody, even if it doesn't mean they're going to watch these uh, these these uh, town halls or debates or you know these these kind of uh, non-debate debates. Riley, so chaos in Ecuador. Um, there's a surge in violence as armed gangs are kind of unleashing chaos across the country, uh, leaving at least ten people dead so far. It's a result of the escape of Jose Adolfo Marcias, who is the leader of Ecuador's largest gang. Um, and this has prompted the president to declare a 60-day state of emergency and nightly curfew. The gangs attacked prisons, um, including killing two officers. They, uh, one of the biggest kind of events that really I saw got a lot of attention was they stormed a state-owned TV station uh, and... This is all recorded uh, as it was. They were currently live when they stormed the station. So you can see this uh, on YouTube and across various news outlets. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is pretty, pretty unprecedented, I, I believe, for the country. Uh, the Chinese embassy is temporarily closed and it obviously presents a significant challenge for the president. Uh, I haven't seen anything about kind of what the demands are or why the gangs are doing this. If they, expect to get anything out of this or if it's just to cause chaos but we'll see you know this is a uh, part of a pattern in latin america which is kind of one step forward two steps backwards um particularly on the political front um uh you know latin america is a region of enormous uh potential and promise uh where there's some remarkable people and some remarkable uh, companies, and for as long as I've been alive, um, we have been dealing with stories of hope followed by stories of setbacks. And in you know, not you know, in the recent past, we've seen strange elections uh, in in uh, results in Argentina. Um, we have uh, seen uh, uh, economic uh, setbacks in different parts of the region. Um, uh, and, uh, even with all that, 
um, I think Americans need to be aware that while that sort of turns away some American business people and the U.S. government has not prioritized Latin America, uh, the Chinese government has. And across Latin America, you have many uh, Chinese businesses seeking raw materials from the region. Uh, they're less allergic to these difficult situations, and they're they're building ties. And and for many of the past ten years, the Chinese have been leading uh, investors and trading partners across the region. So, from a strategic perspective, probably would be better if uh, the United States. Uh, was more actively engaged across this region of the world, both to help it forward and to deal with competitive uh, pressures. Chris. Final story. Uh, the Federal Appeals Court in Washington, D.C. heard arguments yesterday uh, on the the Trump case uh, seeking immunity um, against criminal uh, prosecution in his role in the 2020 uh, election and events that took place. Uh, his lawyer has argued he should be granted uh, complete immunity. The three judges, two of which are Democrat and one uh, is a Republican, um, seem to be asking questions that were uh, more in line of <clears throat> upholding a decision to uh, prosecute or uh, allow the case to move forward, though um, I'm sure more deliberation will be taking place. And I kind of was struck by the Republican judge who said that, um, you know, while presidents certainly can uh, enjoy uh, immunity in some situations, it does not apply to criminal activity, which I think we can all agree to at this point that crimes occurred and he should be uh, held to account for those. Yeah, they certainly didn't respond very well to the arguments, in part because the arguments were uh, extremely weak. In one particular case, the Trump attorney um, uh, was asked, uh, you know, if the president of the United States were to use a SEAL team to assassinate his rival, could he then be convicted of that? And uh, Trump's attorney said, well, only after he was uh, impeached and convicted uh, in the Congress. Now, you know, that in and of itself is a horrifically stupid answer. But the judge, looking at the law um, in a more practical sense, pointed out, well, so you don't believe there's complete immunity. In other words, it put his argument completely to shame because he said, no, if he does something like that, then he can, in fact, be prosecuted, and it was just a matter of uh, of the procedure, not 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 the weather. So they undermined their own arguments throughout this. Uh, there was also a discussion about the Nixon case, um, in which you know the, the 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 Trump people were saying, well, that was a it was a private matter; it wasn't in his role as president that he was facing conviction, and you know actually uh, uh, had to be pardoned. Um, and, uh, uh, again, the judge noted, noted that that's precisely the, the kind of issue that's, a, 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 um, an issue here. I think this is going to be a loser for Trump. You know, I'm skeptical about swift, positive outcomes to a variety of different legal issues, but 
uh, I would be very surprised if uh, any court, including the Supreme Court, grants him blanket immunity of the sort that he um, of the sort that he seeks. Uh, by the way, there was another uh, little legal twist which is worth noting, which is that in the the, ca- the case in 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 New York that you know has his business empire in New York at risk and may result in you know a very very large fine and him losing the ability to conduct any of his businesses in New York. Uh, Trump requested of the lo- of the judge that he be allowed to make a statement in the as the trial wraps up on Thursday. Um, and many lawyers thought this would not be possible because he is not a, uh, a, a representing himself pro se in this trial. Um, uh, and others thought he was just bluffing. And Judge Engeron said, no, cool, sure, okay. Go, come up, you know, make a statement on Thursday. Um, and so... Uh, that promises to be a bit of a circus and can't possibly do anything good for Trump. Uh, uh, and uh, many savvy Trump watchers still think he'll chicken out that Engeron called his bluff um, uh, because every time he opens his mouth, every time he makes the situation worse. What's the last one you got, Riley? Interesting story from Australia. Um, They have implemented a ban on display of Nazi salutes and symbols, uh, making it a federal crime with a potential imprisonment of up to 12 months for violators. Um, So this has kind of come in response uh, and was prompted by incidents of Nazi salutes at rallies in March and May. Um, The ban covers the use of uh, the swastika, the double sig rune, which is associated with the SS and other symbols uh, used by terrorist organizations. Uh, exceptions exist for legitimate religious, academic, educational, artistic, you know, uses, things of that nature. Um, but this is a response to a, a large rise in the, in the far right and right-wing extremism in the country. Uh, a big part of it is attributed to the internet and COVID not, COVID-19 lockdowns. Uh, which saw a huge rise, especially in Melbourne, uh, given that they had pretty strict restrictions. So there was a huge rise in the far right there, as well as anti-Semitic and anti-Muslim incidents in late 2023. So, you know, I think it's interesting that this is uh, their response. You know, a lot of countries in Europe already do this, um, but uh, I hope it kind of helps them and their curbing of the far right. But I think probably more action is going to need to be taken. Yeah, well, it's interesting, and free speech advocates uh, tend to resist these kind of things, but there are certain things that are beyond free speech. They're provocative. You know the case of don't, not being able to shout fire in a crowded theater. There are certain things that are purely inflammatory um, and have a history um, so dark that it is, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, imp- impossible to uh, make statements or use these symbols and and not uh, trigger uh, deeply uh, negative, potentially um, violent reaction in others who are listening. Um, and these things also facilitate the, the the rise of groups that represent a threat to stability. So I you know that's why this is the case in Europe. Um, and you know societies do regulate, speech um, in a variety of ways uh, in order to preserve the peace. 
Um, uh, and it's not just things like the, you know, not being able to shout fire in a crowded theater in Australia. There are laws that require, uh, that when exhibits take place involving photography, involving, um, uh, uh, you know, Aboriginal or Island peoples, uh, that there have to be warnings on the outside because in the religion of those people, uh, you're not supposed to say the name or see the image of people who have been deceased. Um, and so it causes them personal trauma. And so this is something that is kind of regulated area of speech. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, not saying that this is something that's going to happen immediately right here. Um, but, uh, the rise of the right is, is, is worrisome everywhere in the world. And that is good to see people, um, taking steps against it. Um, well, we've got a full day ahead of us. As I said, we've got the uh, the uh, uh, Deep State Radio podcast today. We'll talk about Ukraine. We'll talk about some other issues um, uh, uh, that pertain to your security and well-being. And uh, uh, we will, uh, you know, continue ahead throughout our week with uh, a great roster of other podcasts um, uh, of of this ilk. Um, and soon we'll be adding to the the list this uh, this new daily podcast we'll be doing with the new republic hosted by greg Sargent, recently of the washington post um so it's a good time for you if you're not uh, a member or you know people who aren't members uh to uh to sign up join up you know be able to hear all of what we've got coming uh until then um thanks for listening thank you chris thank you riley and bye-bye